Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So I was thinking about something, you know, a few years ago, I, I think that college football, the conversation was a lot different than it is now. I'm going to give you an example of that. So on Saturday, Alabama goes to Texas, and it won the game. And it won the game on the final drive after facing a deficit. Now, I believe that years ago, that game would have been covered much differently. I believe that people would have treated that like a great Alabama performance. Ooh, they're playing against mighty Texas. They're on the road. They were losing. And Bryce Young would have been given kind of the hero treatment for driving them back down the field. Now, he's getting some of that as it stands right now. But for the most part, even though Alabama won at Texas on Saturday – That was not really treated as a great day for the Crimson Tide. You've seen this yourself. And the reason why is is because we're a lot more familiar with point spreads than we used to be. Even for people who don't gamble, will never gamble, there's just a greater awareness of the expectation for a game on the basis of the point spread. One of the most read stories of Dog Nation each week is when the point spread comes out for the next Georgia game. People want to know what the experts think is supposed to happen, and that helps them frame their own opinion about that there as well. So Alabama winning at Texas was not really treated as a good thing for the most part because Bama only barely won the game, and the expectation was they were supposed to win by 20, you know, three touchdowns, basically, 20 points, whatever it was. So Alabama did not meet expectations in the game against Texas, and people are just sort of generally more aware of that than they kind of used to be. That's how the college football conversation sort of goes now. I say all of that to say as you look ahead towards South Carolina on Saturday, You've seen Georgia far more than a three-touchdown favorite in this game, sort of approaching like four-touchdown status here in this game. And that's once again the expectation that whether Georgia covers the spread or just barely misses the spread, whatever else, the overall sense of the game is it's supposed to be easy for the number one team reigning national champion in Columbia on Saturday. Now, our instincts, especially those of us who are longtime Georgia fans, is, well, nothing's ever easy, right? I remember being in Columbia in so-and-so year when South Carolina won the game or, you know, whatever else. Like a lot of us have long memories, and we can think back to moments in which Williams-Brice Stadium maybe felt like a little bit like a house of horrors, whatever else, and maybe that was true in the past, but the people who put their money where their mouth is, smart people who kind of come up with point spreads and kind of come up with expectations and projections for games, They're saying, well, that may have been true years ago, but for this game here right now, I'm telling you, this one's supposed to be easy for Georgia. And I think that's something we should take seriously and kind of keep in mind here a little bit. And to me, that's a very simple goal for Georgia on Saturday. Whether it covers the spread or not, you have to be a gambler or better to care about that. But for what's supposed to be an easy game for Georgia, can they go out and actually make it look easy against South Carolina? To me, that ought to be the goal. That ought to be the simple mission to kind of get this train really rolling towards back what we said before is go for two and 22, make a serious push towards a second consecutive national championship. A step towards doing that is stepping into the road environment of a hostile territory in South Carolina and winning a game easily the way that folks have said you are supposed to. And so with that in mind, I think there are three things that Georgia needs to do on Saturday to make an easy win as easy as it's supposed to be and, and really ensure that it goes out there and makes it look as easy as some people think it probably should for UGA. I kind of want to run through those three things here right now. One of these 
is something we talked to John Stinchcomb about yesterday. South Carolina had really struggled with its rush defense against Arkansas, and now for the year through two games, South Carolina is giving up 248 yards per game on the ground. That is worst in the SEC. Right now, you are facing a rush defense that's worse than anybody else in this league. Now, I think that's a little bit ironic for Georgia because I think thus far in this season, we really haven't seen the Georgia rushing attack really get off as of yet. We haven't really seen that group sort of show its RBU credentials the way we expect Georgia running backs and the Georgia rushing game overall to be able to do. But if you want to make it look easy against South Carolina on Saturday, get the easy win the experts think you're supposed to get then doing something on the ground, I believe, is a big part of that. Now, yesterday, Kirby Smart, with that in mind, knowing that South Carolina has struggled in that regard and maybe Georgia needs to be a little bit better, was asked to evaluate what he's seen from his running backs in the rushing game for Georgia thus far this season. This is what Kirby Smart said about that. Well, we got to improve everywhere, um, start with every unit. You know, it's a, it's a hard measuring stick when you start talking about uh, – comparing it to Sanford, no offense to their team or their program. It's just hard to evaluate. So we got to improve in every facet. Uh, that includes throwing the ball. That includes running the ball. includes defensively stopping the run and, and rushing the passer. So that's always going to be the case. I thought we did run the ball uh, well uh, Saturday, you know, but, again, it's, it's a little different front, a little different uh, coverage uh, in terms of the way they played. Uh, but when you're getting four or five yards – a rush um you know it's hard to complain about that you got to do it at a higher level against a better opponent so that's interesting evaluation from kirby smart now when you hear me saying hey go out there and make it look easy against south carolina you gotta run the ball i think some people kind of push back on that like hold on ba that's not what i want georgia to do i don't want this to be a three yards and a kind of dust offense i don't want to go backwards to the kind of the run first mentality that maybe defined some of the early days of the Kirby Smart era, and I get that. I do. I'm not asking Georgia to run more. I'm asking Georgia to run better. You know, Kirby says, hey, if you're getting four or five yards per rush, you can't complain about that too much. And to a certain extent, he's probably right. But the number we kind of challenged Georgia with before the season began, we talked about the idea of a stretch goal, a goal that's a little more substantial, that that gives you a chance to achieve even more than maybe you thought was possible. We said it'd be great to see Georgia average six yards per carry. That's something that nobody in the country did a year ago. But in kind of the playoff era last few years, Clemson's done it. Oklahoma's done it. You know, powerful programs have achieved that sort of six yards per carry status that we believe paired with the potent passing attack, which seems to be getting better and better for Georgia. We believe that six yards is actually a possibility. Six yards per carry is actually a possibility. Even though nobody in the country did it a year ago, that doesn't mean that Georgia couldn't do that right now. But whether it's six yards per carry or not, We're not asking Georgia to run the ball more. That's probably not the right recipe. But we are asking them to run it just a little bit better to add that counterpunch to what is becoming, I think, a pretty dangerous Georgia passing attack overall. And then along those lines, it sort of leads us to the next thing. That If we say step one towards getting an easy win against South Carolina on Saturday is just running the ball better when Georgia chooses to rush it, it also came up, well, maybe that's the elixir for the issues in the red zone. You know, Georgia on Saturday against Sanford, lowly opponent as it is, was kind of back scuffling the red zone again, settling for field goals when touchdowns were there to be had. And so Kirby was asked, hey, is running the ball better also a way to to get more red zone success and convert more of those red zone trips into touchdowns? And Smart sort of pushed back on that a little bit. Let me let you hear more from Kirby on a similar topic. 
I think you got to have a run game to win tight ball games, you know, to be a good physical team. And I, I have, like, I, there's not a lack of confidence in our run game for me. Uh, I think people look at statistics, and, and that's all they look at. I look at it as um, what have we asked our guys to do. And there's a lot of things, no offense, that you guys don't, don't understand about football. You know, when you talk about passing and yardage, I would say probably 30 to 40% of the plays you're calling a pass or yardage is a run play. And they could be very successful run plays. The question is, are they more successful as a run play? Or are they more successful when we decide to throw the ball out of that run play? So the evaluation for us is those plays are running plays. And, and a lot of times we put them in rushing yardage because they're actually replacing rushing yardage. I know that's really complicated, but that's, that's the way we look at it. So we're not evaluating it just alone on how many times we rush the ball. I'm honestly not sure what Kirby Smart's even trying to say there, to be completely honest with you. <laughs> I don't know that making things more complicated than they need to be necessarily makes you smarter, but I'm sure Smart knows what he's talking about there. I just don't personally know what he's saying. However, I also believe that running the ball down the red zone is not necessarily the solution here, that I want to see Georgia run it better, but when the field gets smaller, when the defense gets closer to the line of scrimmage, I'm not quite so sure running the ball there is what makes some sense. In fact, when we've seen Georgia drives kind of stall out, I would say it's too many run calls down near the uh, red zone, certainly near the goal line. Oftentimes, I would believe that's the culprit for when Georgia maybe doesn't have the red zone success it wants to have. That's what I would probably say to all of that. I think the red zone area inside that 20 is actually a place to be more aggressive with your play calling. And that's one of the things that I think resulted in so many touchdowns against Oregon is as Georgia got closer to the end zone, the play calling was really aggressive and they were dialing up some creative things. And so if you want to make it easy against South Carolina on Saturday, don't settle for running plays in the red zone. Call your best plays. You know, get Brock Bowers involved. Get Darnell Washington involved. You know, throw the ball to Kenny McIntosh out of the backfield. Be as creative and as aggressive as possible when you were right there in those situations in which a great play call can be the result of a touchdown go ahead and do that right there so I would say that's the next step in all of this that if you're trying to um, you know make an easy game against South Carolina into the easy win it's supposed to be take advantage of your red zone opportunities we've certainly talked plenty about that over the course of the last couple of days then finally there's this on the other side of the ball Obviously, we know a lot now about Spencer Rattler, former Oklahoma quarterback here at South Carolina. I think he's been okay through two games for the Gamecocks. But the truth is, prior to Rattler getting here last year, the South Carolina passing attack actually a few times against Georgia and Athens last year had some success. You remember Josh Fan, receiver out of Tucker? You know, he was here and had some pretty big passing plays that day for the Gamecocks. And so all of a sudden now you're in their stadium. All of a sudden now you're in a situation where a big reception gets that crowd involved and gets them making noise. And for a young defense, youngish, you know, somewhat still inexperienced defense, maybe somewhat susceptible or vulnerable to the idea of a big play, even though they haven't really been hit on too many of those as of yet. You know, that's another thing that on Saturday is going to matter. How do you shut that down? How do you keep a guy like Van at bay? How do you keep the entirety of the South Carolina passing attack at bay? Well, Kirby Smart did talk about that a little bit uh, too. And if you want to think about another way in which Georgia can get that easy win on Saturday, shut down Rattler, shut down those South Carolina wide receivers, shut down that Gamecock passing attack. Here's Kirby on that. Well, they got a great receiving core. They got really good wideouts, fast wideouts. Um, guys we struggled with last year. They've got you know, quarterbacks got an elite ability to throw the deep ball. He throw the ball over 70 yards, uh, stretch the field, and he's an athlete. So um, when you start talking about, you know, like we played against Bo, we know Bo can throw the ball. Bo can scramble. He's a, he's a guy that can move around. you got to be disciplined. You're going to have 
probably five to six snaps a game where you've got to use scramble rules. You've got to plaster, um, take shots down the field. You've got to win 50-50 balls. Um, that doesn't change based on who we play. I mean, everybody we play, especially in the SEC, is going to be um, challenging us down the field, and you got to be able to win those in those one-on-one matchups, they've got really talented guys to do that with. So I think that's really strong, and I think that's a, a pretty good evaluation there on the part of Kirby Smart. And it sort of leads us to what we were saying before, that Georgia, according to the experts, is expected to win easily on Saturday against South Carolina. How do you make sure that does come true? How do you make sure the experts get what they think is going to happen? Run the ball better. You don't have to run it more necessarily, but you do need to run it better. Take advantage of your red zone opportunities and make sure you shut down that South Carolina passing attack. Don't give up the bus. Don't give up the big plays. And if you can prevent that from happening, then maybe you really can go out there and make it look just as easy as the experts think you're supposed to. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We're happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, on the radio at noon, on Athens Sports Radio 960 Ref, and we are available as a podcast wherever you find them, including the worldfamousdognation.com. Happy to have you with us. And by the way, uh, great news yesterday, the Apple Podcast player is back working again. Apple's actually, I think, been actually pretty helpful with this. So it seems like we're almost getting back to normal. I'm not going to spike the football yet because I want to see what happens today. But I got a lot of good reports from folks yesterday that, yes, they got the show and things seem to be getting back to normal. So we'll stay diligent on that to make sure that's indeed the case there today, too. But at least wanted to make you aware of that. Also want to tell you, our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia, make today's show possible. You know, they're the ones you turn to for your foundation, your waterproofing needs. A lot of rain. Well, when that rain creeps in your house, that's the sign of a big problem. We know that here in our building. We've had some issues with some you know different kind of rain coming in here for us. But when you have something like that that goes on, when you that water kind of creeps in and you have that you know, happening there for you, engineered solutions of Georgia, the one you turn to. Waterproofing, foundation, you see the crack shows up in your wall, something like that. Well all the more reason to reach out to our friends at ESOG. You know, they're proud partners of UGA. They're longtime friends of ours here in Dog Nation Daily. We really appreciate those that support those that support us. And that's what Engineered Solutions of Georgia has been for us for a very long time. They're a solutions-based company. They have an entire team of engineers on their staff ready to work for you to deal with your issue, whatever it might be, when it comes to a foundation thing or a waterproofing thing, water not where it's supposed to be, cracks showing up in a place that makes you nervous. That's what Engineered Solutions of Georgia wants to do for you. So give them a call. The number, very easy to remember. It's 678-ESOG-NOW. That's 678-ESOG-NOW. We've got Mike Griffith in Columbia, South Carolina. We're going to speak to him in just a moment. Before that, I'm going to go around the doghouse. It's presented today by our friends at Georgia's Own Credit Union. And I want to talk about for a moment about Georgia being number one in the AP poll, which came out on Sunday. And we talked some about this yesterday, but Kirby Smart also talked about this a little bit yesterday himself. And Smart, in talking about the number one ranking for Georgia, said pretty much exactly what you'd expect him to say. And that message is probably not meant for you or me as much as it is meant for his own players, but it's as predictable as anything that ever could be said, Kirby's sort of nonchalant approach to being back on top in college football. Let me let you hear Kirby, then I want to make a point about this. Take a listen. It's never a big deal. It only matters at the end of the year. I don't know that we've spent many weeks outside the top 10, and it never mattered whether we were inside the top 10 or outside of the top 10. It just is irrelevant. I mean, it's a lot more more worried about how we execute a combo block than I am worried about what we're ranked, and hopefully the kids are the same way 
So as I said before, we know that's what Kirby Smart's going to say. That's the way he talks in situations like this. But I think it's really important to understand that while Kirby may have to or feels like he needs to deliver that version of coach speak, we ourselves, we don't have to be that way. And what we're experiencing right now is this is truly the golden age of Georgia football. Won the national championship last year. We believe they're going to go for two in 22. They have a chance to win it again this year. Things have never been this good. And unfortunately, in the future, things may never be this good ever again. However long this run lasts, things like this just don't last forever. So while Kirby Smart is right to tell his own players, oh, it's no big deal. It's important to be number one at the end of the year. And while it's in, you probably like the idea that your coach sort of speaks that way, just know this. When he's in a private room with his friends, when he's talking to recruits, things like that, that's not necessarily what he's saying privately behind closed doors. Of course he's enjoying this era of Georgia football. And my encouragement to you would be to enjoy the same thing yourself. In other words, don't fall in line with Kirby's sort of coach-speak thinking because he is the coach and he has to speak that way. But for those of us who are sort of the one on the outside, taking the time to enjoy this, appreciate this, it's fun to be number one. At least I think it probably should be. Now, let me give you one more point on this. We're going to bring on Mike Griffith. So yesterday, Sam Pittman, who I love and I think most of you love there as well, the Arkansas head coach, was talking about the fact that Arkansas is now in the top 10. Now for that program, that's a really big deal. Arkansas being the top 10 is a little bit like Georgia being number one. That's a big deal for that program, especially given where it was. And Pittman apparently got some pushback from some Arkansas fans. who were like, I ain't worried about being top 10 right now. I want to be focused on whatever else. And I thought that Sam Pittman had a really good pushback on the notion that we shouldn't sort of stop and appreciate these sort of small wins that pop up over the course of the season. And Pittman's words about his own team, I think, are relevant for the way that those of us who are not the coach ought to view the Georgia situation there as well. This is great stuff from Sam Pittman. Take a listen to this. I tweeted out that we were number 10, and then I got some responses. Well, it doesn't matter. Well, I ain't tweeting it out to you guys or a 50-year-old man. I'm trying to use his recruiting, you know, so I really don't care what the guy says. You know what I mean? I'm trying to recruit, not him or them. I recruit, and uh, so we're proud of it. Sure, we're proud of it. So I think that's great, and I think that Sam Pittman's pointing out something really important here, which is that this is supposed to be fun, and recruits want to play in programs like they're having fun and projecting the fact that you are having fun I think is a really good thing. Now, Kirby Smart's wired a little bit differently, and the way that he's wired I think really works for Georgia. But, y'all, we don't have to be Kirby, right? I mean, I, I'm glad that Kirby's Kirby, but I don't necessarily want to be Kirby myself. I do want to stop and smell the roses. I do want to say, you know what, it's actually kind of cool that Georgia, the team that I cover, the team that I cheer for, is going into Columbia as number one there on Saturday. And, yeah, it's way more important to, to be there at the end of the year. But taking time to appreciate it in September doesn't make it less likely to happen come January. It just doesn't. And so Sam Pittman's words here, one of the reasons why I like Pittman is because I think he brings an important dose of perspective to the sport so keep that in mind stop smell the roses enjoy the fact this team really might go for two in 22 take time to appreciate that and take sam Pittman's word seriously that's around the doghouse it's presented today by our friends at georgia's own credit union of course something else you should appreciate from them those visa signature and platinum cards you're traveling to columbia on saturday you're getting hotels you're eating out restaurants things like that well, listen, you're obviously spending a lot of money this time of year, and when you're using that Visa signature or platinum card from Georgia's own credit union to do that, 
well, you're getting all kinds of incentives and rewards for the things that you're already doing anyway. How about cash back? How about uh, points that can be used towards uh, gift cards or travel or merchandise, anything like that? Also, you can up, earn up to $150 when you open a new platinum or signature card. And there are some restrictions that apply, so you've got the website, georgesown.org, for more details on that. It's georgesown.org. All right, we're very busy today. Normally, Mike Griffith is a Wednesday guest for us, but here today on a Tuesday from Columbia, South Carolina, the site of the Dogs game there on Saturday. Mike's there to bring some coverage. Let's talk to him right now here as a part of a Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com Insider. If you're watching a video, you see Mike there on your screen with williams Bryce Stadium behind him. It looms large, and I think it's a very, very uh, imposing venue. I have respect for that South Carolina crowd. Mike, I know you've been there a lot in the past. Um, I would put the South Carolina atmosphere on game day and certainly the upper half of the SEC. Now, where does it rank beyond that? I don't know. I'm not going to go through you know, stadium by stadium. But is this an imposing venue? I've been there enough to say, yes, it is. And that crowd makes noise, whether the Gamecocks are good or not. So I do have respect for this as a road venue. Yeah, I think Georgia caught a break with the uh, early kickoff. Talking with Jeremy Pruitt yesterday, he pointed out when you're a visiting coach and you see any kickoff before 3.30, you feel like you caught a break because typically it takes those afternoon crowds some time to get in and get warmed up. So I like that it's a noon kickoff for Georgia. I know that's not always convenient for fans, but when you're the visitor, you want to be a noon game. And, B.A., just to follow up something you were saying, I found an astounding statistic. Between 1980 and when Georgia won the national championship and 2016 when Kirby Smart was hired, Georgia was ranked number one or two ten times, ten weeks, right? Sixteen out of the last 18 weeks, Georgia's been ranked number one or number two. So to your point about Kirby bringing the golden era, absolutely on point. And I think that – and I'm being half funny and half serious when I say this. I think one of the worst things – that was ever said in terms of how it has influenced fan mentality is Nick Saban's statement a few years ago about rat poison. And, you know, and for people who are not aware, that was his thing of, well, if you give too many compliments, that that's rat poison has the potential of killing your team. And I sort of get where he's coming from. And I guess in a certain sort of like manner of thinking that might be true. But I think in the aftermath of that, it's like people have taken almost too far where, they don't want to hear anything good about their team and they want to kind of conjure up this notion of everybody's out to get you all the time. But for a team like Georgia, that's just no longer going to be the way things are. Georgia doesn't have the freedom of really sneaking up on anybody anymore that for a team like Georgia that has been dominant through two weeks, even if one of those was an FCS foe, when you compare that to what's happening around the rest of college football, well, who else are you going to put at number one? It probably should have been the reigning national champs who were there to begin with anyway. It certainly should have been unanimous that they were number three. So I, th I think that embracing that, being okay with that, and yeah, if you lose, it's going to be disappointing eventually, but that's going to be true for fans no matter what. That, you know, this notion of, you know, you got to avoid rat poison at all costs. Honestly, I've tried some rat poison. It actually doesn't taste quite so bad. No, you're right. And, and it's funny the way coaches are. You know, if you say really good things about their team, then you're giving them rat poison. And if you're critical, they get all defensive. It's like they're the only ones that are allowed to be critical. And, and Kirby picks his spot. Obviously, we've talked about how he uses the media to – get his message across to players the way he yells at certain players when the media is present or, you know, some of the things that he says, you know, he's more worried about the combo block than he is being ranked number one. And to your point, 
being ranked number one absolutely helps on the recruiting trail. Having the number two passing game in the country absolutely helps him change the narrative about the pass game. You know, perhaps they can land a receiver with Brian McClendon. I know he's struggled so far with that. Uh, you know, perhaps they can get that five-star quarterback. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out. But so far, so good. Defense ranked number one and passing game number two in the country. So one of the things that came up yesterday, I want to talk to you more about the, the scene in Columbia too, but let me just kind of get this in here too as well as we're uh, doing our, our Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update. You know, I don't want Georgia to – I'm speaking as someone who's both a fan and also trying to make my you know best possible evaluation – I don't want Georgia to run it more, but I do want them to run it a little bit better. I, I think, you know, I, I don't know that I've seen that through two games, and I do get the idea that short passes, you know, whatever. I, I, I get all that. But I still think there are moments, maybe not on Saturday against South Carolina, but road game at Mississippi State, road game against Kentucky, where you are going to have to line up and do some traditional running type plays. You're just going to. And I don't know that Georgia is as good right now at that as I'd like to see them be. And I would like to see them assert themselves more in that category against the Gamecocks on Saturday. Mike, what do you think about that? Well, I think Kirby Smart tells you that the defense often dictates what they do. I heard Shane Beamer say the same thing when I was in Arkansas covering that game. You know, how the opponent lines up dictates what you do. And Georgia's built an offense now that's flexible enough. When they go to that line of scrimmage, Brandon, they have a run and a pass call. So depending on the defensive alignment, Stetson has a check to go into. He either checks to the pass or he checks to the run. And even within the, the run game, there's certain checks within that run where they can do five or six different things to affect the offensive lineman and get leverage. So I wouldn't panic too much about that or be too concerned. I think what you're saying, though, is there's going to be those third and ones and fourth and ones when you just want to see him smash it in there. But, but again, this is why you want a mobile quarterback. You know, when you've got a quarterback like Stetson Bennett that can run the ball himself, he's got to be accounted for. If he's not checked, if they're not spying him, he can keep it or he can roll out. And he's got those options in Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington. Very difficult matchups one-on-one. And even if defenses do a good job, Kenny McIntosh has proven very dangerous out of the backfield. So I feel your point about wanting to see a little bit more of the power run game and see those guys that can fight in the phone booth, get the push. But as long as they're executing at this high clip, um, I, I don't think we can really complain about how they're getting it done. No, I don't have any complaints. I, I get the overall point that you're making. I just think that's sort of a next step for this offense. I sort of said that before the season, that if you really want to kind of break through and have even more offensive production, there probably is some money left on the table when it comes to the rushing attack. Georgia hasn't finished f- higher than fifth in the SEC in rushing in the last three years. That's a chance for you know Georgia, I think, to kind of improve on that without calling a bunch of extra running plays. I don't want to see the ratio change. But beyond that um, – what do you think the mood is in Columbia right now? I don't know that many Gamecocks fans expect them to win at Arkansas. That's a pretty tough trip. I thought they played okay in the game. You were there. You can say probably more about that than I can. Um, but this is a team trying to build on a surprisingly successful first year for Shane Beamer. What's the overall mood at South Carolina moving into a game like this on Saturday? Well, I think Shane's brought a lot of excitement here. And, you know, I go back with Shane back to when he was at Tennessee GA and you know, some of the tactics that he's used, his social media account is certainly popular. And listen, South Carolina fans have been filling up that stadium behind me since Lou Holtz was winless one year. I mean, this is one of the most passionate, loyal fan bases in the country. So I think the mood is still very positive. You know, yeah, that was a tough loss at Arkansas, but you got to give the Gamecocks credit. I mean, Arkansas was blowing them out and they came back and made that a five point game in the third quarter. I really like Spencer Rattler. I think there's a lot of excitement. 
And, and I know that there's going to be some people on the fence here just like everywhere else. But at the very least, you know that's a good locker room. I think Shane has really raised the, the level of happiness among those players. I think that says a lot. This is a tough draw for Carolina to get Georgia this early in the year, uh, coming off a physical game like they did at Arkansas. But I, I think the mood here is good. But, again, this is a very loyal fan base. Even when things haven't gone well, these fans fill up the stadium. But right now, I, I think there's some optimism. They want to see Shane build on that 7-6 and six year. I don't think anybody expected that last year. Big win over North Carolina. That's a big bragging rights mm-hmm. game for the Gamecocks. And, and, of course, Clemson later this year. You know, who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe Shane Beamer will be the guy to turn that around like Steve Spurrier did when Shane was an assistant to the old ball coach here. I, I'm actually, I think, I think a lot of Georgia fans feel this way too, kind of ready to see Georgia in a game like this. I mean, obviously the Sanford game is just sort of best forgotten. SEC on the road, especially for the Georgia fan who feels like he's got the kind of team that can weather a storm like this. I think it's about time to see Georgia against an SEC opponent. We know what it looks like pushing around a Pac-12 team, but what does it look like when you're trying to push around an SEC the team there too that, you know, and I'm like you, Mike, I think, you know, early start takes some of the crowd out of it a little bit almost kind of reminds you of 2018 when Georgia was facing a ranked South Carolina team that was also a noon start very hot day that day and Georgia came out there and I think really asserted itself you know pretty well in some respects the lead into this game sort of feels somewhat similar but just you know sort of generally speaking I think think there were a lot of Georgia fans were kind of ready for the start of SEC play and uh, getting a chance to really kind of evaluate exactly what the dogs are here at this point. Yeah, you know, you go into that stadium, it's always tough at williams Price. Again, I think they caught a break with the noon kickoff. The, the night games here are unbelievable. I've seen teams get upset here several times at night. Uh, and to your point, it is an SEC team, but they've already lost a couple guys on defense. And I got to say, they're, they're not getting the best version of South Carolina. It's very unfortunate. Attrition is obviously a part of the game, you know, but Shane's lost a couple of linebackers. That's going to be tough, right? And, you know, they're playing a dog team that is just about at full strength. And, um, yes, it's an SEC game. To me, what I'm going to be impressed with is how the Georgia secondary, the back seven, does against Spencer Rattler. Let me tell you, this guy – let me put this into perspective for you. The Georgia pass game through two games does not have a play uh, uh, over 40 yards. Okay, South Carolina, I believe, had five or six. And Spencer Rattler is a guy – this kid has a cannon. He's accurate. He gets through his reads. I mean, you just watch him, and you will see why he was a five-star, and you will see why NFL scouts are intrigued. I mean, he was the best player in Razorback Stadium. Now, he didn't have the best statistics. You know, some people will pick on his numbers and say that things didn't work out. But if you just watch this guy take the names off the jerseys and just watch the players play, you will not be able to help be impressed with how Spencer Rattler operates. I mean, this guy is just uh, just a phenomenal talent. Now, does he have the supporting cast? I asked Sam Pittman about it, and Sam said, you know, quarterbacks are really a lot about who there are, who the players are around them. You know, the players around the quarterback have a lot to do with how successful they are. Carolina does have some really good receivers. You mentioned um, the, the, the dangerous receivers. You mentioned Josh Van a moment yeah. ago. Uh, this Wells kid, this Juice Wells kid, this transfer, he leads the SEC. He was running open a couple times, and Spencer missed him, right, because the Hogs were getting to him. It's going to be interesting to see how does Georgia go after Spencer Rattler. Do you bring the pressure to try to reduce the amount of time or you play coverage and make sure those Gamecock receivers aren't running wild behind you? Because if they get up in this stadium or they keep it close, even with it being a noon game, you know things will go bonkers here. And, and that's Carolina's chance for the upset. 
big plays early off the arm of Spencer Rattler. I want to give you a chance at a final thought here in a moment. Let me remind folks, though, this is our uh, insider update presented by our friends at Georgia Farm Bureau. And, of course, Georgia Farm Bureau living, working, doing life right here in communities just like yours and mine across our great state of Georgia. And that means they want to take care of you as well when it comes to your auto insurance needs, your home insurance needs. That is what Georgia Farm Bureau wants to do for you. Friendly folks, you reach out to them and speak to them on the phone or talk to them, and they're going to provide you a lot of great options there on that. Obviously, they've been great advocates for our agriculture and farming community here in our state for a long time, and they want to step up and support you there as well. Georgia Farm Bureau, always the home team. So find out more about them, gfbinsurance.com. That's gfbinsurance.com, and they'll have you covered on all of that today. Mike, any final thought, anything we want to cover here? I know South Carolina also pretty successful, kind of the Beamer Ball-style special teams, blocked a couple of punts against Georgia State. What else do you want to make these Georgia fans aware of about these Gamecocks before we say goodbye to you from Columbia? That's a good last question, Brandon. Well, I'm going to be going to their media day here in a little bit. I'm going to interview the players. I'm going to see Shane. And I hope to see Freddie Kitchens. Okay. Freddie Kitchens is a quarterback that I covered a long time ago at Alabama. He's a former Cleveland Browns head coach. And guess who he was in charge of? Todd Munkin. I wonder what Freddie will have to say about Todd Munkin. You remember that that did not end well. Coach Munkin was not pleased that Freddie took the play-calling duties. He was the head coach, but I think Coach Munkin wanted to call the plays. I'm not sure where that's at, but that's intriguing to me because nobody has really gotten a a handle on Todd Munkin yet in his philosophy. But if anybody knows it, it would be Freddie Kitchens. So maybe South Carolina with a little inside juice. And also Freddie, obviously, here as an analyst to work with Spencer Rattler. He was a longtime assistant to Bruce Arians, NFL Coach of the Year. So that's another one of the ingredients that Shane Beamer has added to the mix. Freddie could have gone to Clemson. He wanted to come here instead. He felt like he was more needed. Can he have an impact on this football game? I don't know. I think the dog's number one for a reason, Brandon. I don't see anybody having a shot at beating them or taking them into the fourth quarter, probably until November. Mike, good stuff. Thanks for being here as part of a Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update. We'll look forward to reading a lot more from you from on the scene there in Columbia. And, of course, we'll see you there in the Palmetto State coming up on Saturday there as well. Talk to you then, Mike. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I think that Spencer Rattler has been okay thus far for South Carolina. I think I thought he had some good moments on Saturday against Arkansas. And it was okay, I would say, against Georgia State week one. I mean, I think he's a dangerous – do I think he's a better quarterback than Bo Nix? Yes, I do. And playing in his own stadium makes him probably even more dangerous on that. So I think this is a step up in competition in terms of the quarterback position what maybe Georgia saw from Oregon, and we'll see kind of how what that means for the team at large. I mean, you know, the, the issue is is we have a tendency to sort of fixate on quarterback sometime, and we forget this is still kind of a line of scrimmage game. It's still a game in which offensive and defensive linemen and the other 21 guys on the field matter a lot, and that's where South Carolina just kind of runs into some deficiency. Uh, that's just kind of the issue there. And I don't think it's kind of a fun day to see. A guy like Stetson Bennett, who – is picking up to begin this year where he left off a year ago. Can a guy like that go out and just outplay a quarterback that's got a lot more hype and a lot more attention? Can, in sort of a battle of gunslingers, can Bennett just go out there and outplay Spencer Rattler on Saturday? We talked about Georgia running the football, but honestly, that's kind of a cool storyline there too. Just Bennett going out there and just showing that right now he's just the better overall guy. I mean, don't forget, you know, all the attention that a guy like Will Levis gets in a head-to-head matchup a year ago, Levis wasn't anywhere near as good as Stetson Bennett was in the same game. So this is another chance for a quarterback that's gotten some attention, 
uh, for Bennett to kind of go out there and maybe exceed that performance, and we'll see if he's able to do that. Let me also let you know we're going to go cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean, obviously getting ready for that great Royal Caribbean cruise with Dog Nation coming up this spring. A really fun opportunity for you to be a part of that and do all of that. And, of course, you can go to the website royaldogs.com and find out more about that. It's royaldogs.com. That's the uh, website. You can also give our friend Jessica Slater a call at 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. And you've heard me talk about this. We're going to be on Independence of the Seas, you know, leaving out in April of 2023, the same week of the NFL draft, starting on April 24th. And we're going to be going to Nassau, Perfect Day, Coke, OK, doing all those things. And you're kind of maybe getting ready and kind of slowly moving towards making that decision to book that cruise, but you haven't quite pulled the trigger on that yet well let me give you an incentive to why you should do that now as opposed to later because if you book your cruise between now and september 30th you're gonna get a hundred dollar onboard credit that's a credit you can use for the things that you're doing on board whether it be shore excursions or you know specialty dining or obviously you know drinks at the bar whatever you want to do merchandise while you're on board whatever else that's a hundred dollar onboard credit that you can use if you book this between now and september 30th so all the more reason to do this right now and if you're not quite so sure about all this yet just go to the website royaldogs.com or just give jessica a call and just talk to her about it you know it's one of those things where you may just have some questions like you know i've never been on a cruise before or i haven't been on a cruise in a long time or how much fun is it going to be to be on a cruise with ba and the rest of the folks from dog nation if you just got questions just call jessica on that just talk about it or visit the website to learn more about it but if you're getting close to making that decision do it between now and september 30th to take advantage of that great hundred dollar onboard credit offer from our friends at royal caribbean it's gonna be a great time and also, go ahead and book some other Royal Caribbean cruise vacations, too, because whether it be late fall, holiday season, early 2023, this is a great time to be doing all of that. All right, let's bounce through a couple of uh, SEC news nuggets here as we're cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And I want to kind of recap some of the games from last weekend that we haven't really talked about yet, including one that I think ought to be on your radar and may not have been. Very late on Saturday, I believe it was the latest game in the country, Mississippi State went to Arizona and won pretty convincingly against the Wildcats. Now, this is an Arizona team that in recent years has been probably one of the worst teams in the entire country, but I don't believe that's quite so true this year. Jaden DeLara, former quarterback at Washington State, a transfer down to Tucson, was there. And this is a very long road trip for Mississippi State. This is a little bit of an example of, you know, we talked about Utah traveling in SEC country to play Florida, not an easy trip. Well, similarly, when you go to Starkville to Tucson, that's a long trip there, too, and the travel is a part of the story here. So Arizona's, you know, going to Arizona, getting that win, I think is a little bit of a statement for Mississippi State right now. This is probably a pretty, I don't want to oversell this. They're not going to win the West or anything like that, but this is probably, a, you know, a, a team that's more good than not right now. And when you think about games for Georgia that ought to be worth getting your attention, traveling to Starkville in November, that's one that you should have your eye on that a bit. That, you know, on Saturday, we say, oh, it's it's supposed to be easy for Georgia. How do you make it look easy? You know, when you start thinking about Mississippi State, I don't quite know that you have that same level of, oh, go in there and just totally, you know, whitewash that team. I don't quite know you have that same level of mindset for a game like that right now. And that's one when you may be expecting to get a little bit of a tougher fight in the uh, week two performance from the Bulldogs. Kind of an example of that. A couple other games. Auburn way closer than it should have been with San Jose State. Um, I think if you're Auburn, you got to be really careful. Got to be really, really careful here. Uh, this is a team that we we said, okay, relatively high talent level, but you know, you know, kind of above that sort of fifty percent line when it comes to the blue chip ratio. 
but can you find quarterback? And I think the answer thus far is no, not, not, not necessarily. You know, Zach Calzada was not what he was supposed to be. The quarterbacks for now seem to be T.J. Finley, Robbie Ashford, and I just don't know what either one of those guys bring to the table from a real throwing competency standpoint right now. This is an Auburn team that I don't have high hopes for, and I don't think that as objective as you know any of us know how to be you start thinking about making picks for them in future games including Penn State coming up on Saturday with the Nittany Lions coming into uh, the Plains there I don't know that you should have a high level of confidence in Auburn at all right now this may end up being one of the worst teams in the SEC a little bit of a scuffle with San Jose State maybe proof of that how about some of the week three stuff though around the SEC let's bounce around a few of those uh, Ole Miss actually goes to Georgia Tech that's not necessarily an interesting game but uh, it's at least worth noting I talked about Penn State and Auburn I have another note on that coming up in a moment um, Louisiana Monroe goes to Alabama let's call this a revenge game revenge for 2007 we're in Nick Saban's first year Louisiana Monroe went to Tuscaloosa and won against the Crimson Tide so Alabama looking for re- revenge against Louisiana Monroe on Saturday I think Mississippi State LSU is a really fun game and I, I just sort of gave you my take on Mississippi State there a moment ago for LSU ugly in week one against Florida State you don't really take much from their week two game against Southern it's a this is a very important game for LSU on Saturday and right now I think to me it looks like Mississippi State's the better team I haven't really seen a points burn in that game yet but but to me it just sort of looks like Mississippi State's the better team between these two here at the moment and then the game that was supposed to be a big deal rendered somewhat moot because of the upset loss Miami goes to Texas A&M remember this is the spot where game day was supposed to be. They were supposed to be in College Station. How's this for an indignity? Appalachian State wins at Texas A&M and then takes game day from them. Game day is going to be in Boone on Saturday. So that's kind of a wild turn of events there and kind of a definite sort of embarrassment for Texas A&M, which has embarrassed itself in a lot of ways here over the last couple of days. You've been kind of close to the Internet. Uh, by the way, speaking of Auburn against Penn State, there's a little bit of chatter here that Auburn may wear orange jerseys on Saturday I guess Owen Popose called for this another Auburn player is going to call for this there too an orange out inside uh uh, uh we call it Jordan-Hare Stadium I, I don't know if this is real or not but it has definitely been talked about here a little bit and I guess you have an example of going back to is it the 1970s the last time that Auburn wore the orange jerseys Auburn fans would be able to tell me better than this in terms of how long it's been since this has happened, I think it was a tie against Georgia. They wore the orange, so maybe they're looking to break those out. Obviously, we don't like orange around here, so if there was a way to make us hate Auburn even more, wearing orange jerseys might be a good example of doing that. So apparently pulling out all the stops here against uh, a Penn State team after being victims of the whiteout last year, trying to bring out the orange against the Nittany Lions on Saturday and I don't know. I guess do with that what you will. But there is some talk of alternate uniforms for Auburn there in that spot. And then finally, there's this. We are seeing long lists of names pop up as candidates to be the next Nebraska coach. Um, I've seen a couple of names from with, with SEC ties. I've seen Mark Stoops' name pop up there on that. Here's what I'm going to tell you. I, I kind of touched on this a little bit yesterday. I think the Nebraska job is actually slightly more attractive than you might think. The one thing that is commonly assumed about Nebraska – because it's not really in fertile soil for high school football they don't have access to players things like that but this is a really big fan base they do have a lot of money we told you yesterday that they're I've been told anyway that their NIL game may actually be a little bit more built out than you might think that's one of the things that some of the transfers to the Nebraska program have said in comparison to their old programs we've we've heard some chatter about Nebraska having 
some NIL buildup around the program. I think it's going to be a pretty attractive job. But like one of the names we've heard mentioned is Mark Stoops leaving Kentucky to go there. I don't know that would make much sense. I mean, Stoops has kind of kind of sort of got it figured out at Kentucky right now and having to start all over again in a place like Nebraska where the fit for them in the Big Ten thus far hasn't been very good. Now, compared to other Big Ten programs, I could see Nebraska eventually having more success. But based on it is what right based on what it is right now, I'm not quite so sure that Nebraska is a better job than Kentucky. I know we just did a whole thing about whether or not Kentucky is a football school or not, and Mark Stoops obviously weighed in on that. But when you're going on the road beating Florida, that lets me know that you've kind of gotten a little bit of a comfort zone in your current job and messing that up for what might be slightly better at Nebraska, unless it's just way more money. I'm not quite so sure how much sense that makes. And then the other name that's come up here is Bill O'Brien, the Alabama offensive coordinator. I know O'Brien was Penn State head coach. He was a head coach in the NFL. But, I mean, are you watching this offense more often than not? And, yeah, they had Jameson Williams, and, yeah, they got Bryce Young. But on a day-to-day, game-to-game basis, are you just overwhelmed with how successful and how smart Bill O'Brien looks? I'm not quite so sure I am. Let me make a suggestion. And this is not me being funny. This is me being as serious as I'm capable of being. What about Dan Mullen in Nebraska? Could you see Mullen working in Nebraska? I mean, he's not a you know great recruiter, but there's nobody to recruit there anyway. They're going to have to buy players to get them. They're going to have to use NIL to get that. So, I mean – is the Dan Mullen that was at Mississippi State, could he be a fit at Nebraska? He'd be better at that than he is on TV, I think. Um, I don't know. That's just my suggestion there on that. And I, That hasn't come up. That's just me kind of sort of shooting off the hip a little bit. But could you see Dan Mullen in Nebraska? Would that be a, a good next job for him? Would they even want him after the way in which he failed at Florida? I guess that may be the more accurate question. And we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And – before we move on, let you hear from Georgia Center Center Ron Prime Granger. I want to give a quick shout out to my friends at R.S. Andrews. You know, R.S. Andrews is with us for our R.S. Andrews Cooldown on the show each and every day. They're also with us for Go With The Flow, presented by R.S. Andrews on Friday. So we make our picks officially on the week on Friday night. Dari Payro from R.S. Andrews joins us for that. And each day on the show, you can share your thoughts and let your feelings about Georgia football be known during our R.S. Andrews Cooldown. So make sure you join us for that after the show is done. We also do a version of that on podcast there as well. And, of course, we give a big thanks to our friends at R.S. Andrews, the one you turn to for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. We appreciate what they do for us on that, and we invite you to check them out online at rsandrews.com. So Georgia, I think, has pretty strong leadership um, overall, and I think an example of that is some of what you heard from Senator Von Prong Granger yesterday. And and he's sort of talking about, you know, what Kirby Smart wants from his team, his group on the offensive line, maybe in particular. And I think it's an example of the level of leadership that a guy like Van Prime Granger gives to UGA. Let me let you hear him yesterday in terms of the message that Kirby Smart's trying to deliver to him and his teammates uh, on the offensive line in particular and how they're responding to that right now. This is good stuff from SVP. Take a listen to this. I think his biggest thing is that he just wants us to be hungry. Um go every day and you know work hard you know i think uh, a staple of this program is definitely working hard throughout the week to try and minimize the mistakes in the game so i think that's what he's just focusing on making sure everybody makes sure that we take uh, we don't take anything for granted throughout the week you know work hard you know trust your brother um extra sprints whatever it may be extra film whatever it may be um just making sure that we are able to uh, play to the standard that we need to on saturday 
there was another quote that Van Pran gave yesterday. We was talking about, you know, the the grind of a season, about how basically nobody cares about your feelings. That was an attention attention getting statement that he gave yesterday. And I do think that sort of level headed, measured, calm approach to the day to day grind of football is probably pretty valuable. And I do think that Smart's really good at instilling that into his players. I think that Smart's really good at cultivating a certain form of of leadership that models that player to player, teammate to teammate. And I do think that's an important part of Georgia's success. And like early in the show, we talked about, hey, you know, Kirby Smart downplaying the number one team in the country type thing. We understand why Kirby does that because he's trying to train up guys like SVP to say the things that he's saying. And, you know, while that's not probably right for me and I try to have a lot more fun and be more entertained by some of this than maybe Smart kind of lets on sometimes, you do sort of get where he comes from on that. And there's no doubt that one of the things I think that Georgia would say about its national championship a year ago was the level of connection they felt player to player, the way in which they wanted to play for each other, and they looked not to their coach to lead them, position coach, coordinator, head coach, but a lot of times they were looking to guys like Jordan Davis or Devontae White or certainly N'Kobe Dean and a long list of guys, Jamari Salyer on offense, an example of that. They were looking to those guys to help point the way forward. And that you can't have a championship without guys like that. This is not fantasy football. You know, you can have five-star talent across the board. You can have highlight makers across the board, both sides of the ball. But if you don't have that leadership, if you don't have those guys that, that become the glue, that hold it all together, eventually you're just going to fall apart under the weight and the pressure of the day-to-day grind that is the season. And Saturday is really a good example of that. This can be a tough road environment if you let it become it. But guys like Cedric Von Prahn is sort of dialed in, clued in as they seem to be. I think the odds are that Georgia does know how to handle their business. They don't get too up in any one moment or too down in any low moment. They just approach it the way that it needs to be approached. That was the recipe that worked a year ago. And as Georgia tries to go for two and 22, that may be the recipe that works here again there as well. Let me also give a shout out before we say goodbye here to our friends at the Durham Law Group. If you've been injured in an accident or hurt on the job, the Durham Law Group's there for you. They don't just practice injury law, they define it. So they offer you no fees or expenses unless you win. That's the way in which they take care of you, and you can contact them for more information today. You can give them a call at 844-4GA-HURT, that number once again, 844-4-G-A-HURT, or you can also reach out to them online at georgiahurt.com. That's the name Georgia spelled out, georgiahurt.com. Let them take good care of you and fight for you if you've been hurt in an accident, injured on the job, whatever else. Our friends at the Durham Law Group there for you, 844-4-G-A-HURT, or online at georgiahurt.com. Now, speaking of being hurt, we know that's what the Florida Gators are after losing to Kentucky on Saturday, and our buddy George on tap he sent me a couple pretty funny things here on this. I want to show you uh, both of these. First of all, he shared this from Pete Thamel. How about this? So the Kentucky football team, I guess, had a celebration here where they fry. Is that is that smoked or fried? I think that I think it's fried, right? A whole uh, uh, it's on kind of a skillet type thing there. Full on gator. You've seen like a pig in the ground before. This is like a full on gator. They're cooking up and enjoying. That was from Will Levis on Instagram, the uh, Kentucky quarterback, sharing that. That's pretty wild to see. And, Speaking of teams having fun and enjoying the moment, good for Kentucky there on that. We don't have the video to show you today. We'll show this to you tomorrow. It's uh, pretty funny. George on taps at me another one of those. We'll give you a lot of golden shoes there on that tomorrow. But I wanted to show you the uh, gator here that apparently Kentucky cooked up 
as a way of celebrating the fact they cooked up the Gators on the field there too. So good stuff from Georgia on tap. How about those lousy, stinking Gators as well when it comes to a long national title drought, 4,996 days. And our Gator Hater Countdown, dogs back in Jacksonville, 46 days from right now, beating up on Florida again. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. You saw the oil painting of Eddie there a moment ago if you're watching on video. Don't forget, go to dognation.store and you can get yourself one of those Eddie t-shirts. Eddie the Blind Squirrel celebrated the official mascot of Dog Nation Daily on a very cool t-shirt. Dognation.store, you can get one of those or just a link at the top of the page at dognation.com. Get your Eddie t-shirt today and we'll see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily presented by uh, our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews Cooldown. Of course, uh, R.S. Andrews is the one you turn to for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. Also, hopefully you're enjoying the podcast delivered yesterday as normal. I'm hesitant to say that's for sure and fixed and completely done, but yesterday it was, so we'll see if that's indeed the case today. And, of course, your feedback on that continues to be very important to me. I also want to read this from E-Rock, who writes, uh, hey, B.A., I mentioned this a few days ago, but you raised the topic on your show again, so I thought I'd put it out there again. He says, doing away with those Power 5 versus FCS games, like the one that Georgia played on Saturday against Samford, doesn't have to mean doing away with the FCS teams themselves. He says, most Power 5 programs are already happy to donate to those schools as it is. Who says that donation must come with a game between the two schools? Why not just start an outright charity fund from the Power 5, dedicated to promoting and maintaining program development at the FCS level? They could find out how much money is given annually for these games, spread it out evenly over the, all Power 5 schools as an annual donation from each and let the FCS decide how to divvy it up. Then simply ban the practice of having FCS teams play Power 5 teams. It's an interesting point, Iraq. I think the problem with that, though, is this. Is that when Georgia pays Samford a big check, they're paying Samford through the proceeds raised by a game. This is ultimately the reason why they didn't play those FCS level opponents in 2020 remember that during the pandemic year Georgia nor anybody else in the SEC played non-power five or FCS level games and they can say it was about player safety but the fact of the matter is is the way they typically pay those opponents is through the ticket sales and with no ticket sales you didn't have the money to pay those opponents and so the schools didn't want to have to reach into their own coffers to to make the payment there on that game and so that didn't happen so that's why I believe it'd be hard for any sort of like charitable relationship to exist between the FBS and the FCS is because the way in which the FBS currently pays these FCS schools or the way the Power Five kind of pays the non-Power Five opponents is through the the proceeds of the game that is being played. The, the big schools make so much money off a home game that they are free to kind of give away a million dollars there on that. And ultimately, it'd be more profitable for a program to play these kinds of games every year like when a school makes the decision to go home and home like georgia did against notre dame it actually costs them more money than it would to play four very weak non-conference opponents each and every year now ultimately schools like georgia have decided that the ancillary benefits are great enough that that you'll take the hit on the easy home game but if you wanted to run your program as profit profitable as possible then the way that you would do that is to pay these sort of weaker opponents to come in four times a year in fact you see a lot of examples in like say the big 10 where there are a lot of schools that did just that you know playing four very easy non-conference opponents and making the money some of those teams have paid to like play like eight home games in the past because there's just a lot of money to be made by 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 doing that so 
I think that if you did look to a future where there were no more FCS versus FBS games, and after Saturday, I think that's an example of why you should maybe strongly consider that, then I do think you're still left with the very hard problem of, what does that mean for the FCS? Do we just want that to go away? And I can say unequivocally that, no, I don't. I don't want it to go away. I want there to be opportunities for players to play FCS football. I, I do. A lot of high school players in Georgia are dreaming of getting an offer from an FCS school, and I want them to be able to get that. And without the money given by a program like Georgia, it's not obvious that they'll be able to do that in the future. But based on what I also thought was a little bit of a mockery on Saturday uh, of competition, I'm not quite so sure that Georgia needs to play more games like that in the future either. Uh, Jim Dog 85 says, one of the other things that killed the vibe on Saturday was the decision to not let the Redcoats march in the field. Somebody was paranoid about the field conditions because of rain, but it was fine. It really took away from the pageantry, the pregame hype, uh, and halftime was a non-event. I do get that, and they were there in the stands, and obviously I love the Redcoats. A lot of folks like to see them. Um, I think the grass is more delicate than you think, and it's one of those things that sometimes you have to actually be on the field to see just how beaten up some grass is, Like, I, especially – if you go to like a cold weather NFL stadium in the wintertime, like when you look down in the field, you're left to conclude, wow, there really isn't just very much grass left here at all. It dies and it disappears, you know, rain, s- snow, things like that just wreaks havoc on that grass. And a bunch of folks marching on the grass prior to the game is potentially more damaging than you might think when the threat of rain, they're going to not, not do that. And from where we're all sitting, well, grass looks fine it's certainly not raining here right now but these decisions when you're involving several hundred band members had to be made you know well in advance and they are going to err on the side of safety but i do i don't mean safety in terms of somebody getting hurt i mean you know caution i guess the better word they're going to err on the side of caution on that but i do understand where you're coming from their presence was missed on saturday especially during the pregame festivities when you kind of run through and and, and do a lot of that kind of stuff not able to do that that was certainly noticeable a uh, good comments as always we appreciate you being here for the podcast cool down y'all check out rs andrews online rsandrews.com for your air conditioning heating plumbing and electric needs if your water heater goes out in many cases rs andrews can replace it for you the same day but you've got to find them online at rsandrews.com we'll see you tomorrow for dog nation daily presented by esog and the rs andrews podcast cool down when it's all said and done we'll talk to you then everybody